Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brennan will be teaching out of the book of 1 Corinthians. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to go ahead and jump in here. We've made it thus far to verse 1 here. And um, as, we, as we jump into this chapter here this morning, it kind of struck me as, as I was considering some of these things, just the pattern that we see in our own lives uh, and throughout history, especially in the people Israel. The people Israel throughout their history, as recorded in the Old Testament, were often prone to the worship of idols. Though God, in his pursuit of and love for them, sought to dwell among them and to demonstrate his power, there was this bend towards idolatry. It seemed that there was always this turning away from God. Whether it was the worship of Molech and the building of high places to Baal, as we see in Jeremiah, or even Solomon himself, though he had overseen the building of the temple of God in Jerusalem, where the Spirit of God would reside, he later built high places of pagan worship for his many wives and even worshipped with them. Israel, we know, is not alone. Since the beginning And in the fall of man, our hearts have been enticed by the prospects of becoming like God. The false promises of this world all too easily draw our attention and our affection away from the one true God who is worthy of our worship. Though a temple be established with a firm foundation where the Spirit of God rests and dwells, many a heart sought to build other places of worship, other altars, other thrones, where they placed the objects of their affection and desire. Man's heart hasn't changed all that much. And often, these places are even built unto ourselves. Even today, we fancy them many kingdoms where we sit on the throne And we establish ourselves as sovereign and we welcome the worship of the world. Yet the Apostle Paul will declare in the chapter before us today an amazing truth that even the spiritual mind must still stretch to comprehend. In verse 16, Paul writes, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? This is a mind-blowing truth. Yet nevertheless, we seemingly keep building. Building other temples. Seeking to lay other foundations. We take makeshift materials. And we work to erect alternatives to worship ourselves. And the things that our wandering hearts desire. In the passage before us today, we'll be challenged to grow beyond these fleshly pursuits of our hearts. Called to engage in the godly work that the Lord has called us to. 
and will be encouraged to see and comprehend the amazing truth that we are the temple of the living God. And so our time for building other temples and building other kingdoms must come to an end. If you would agree with me in prayer once more as we consider this word. Father, we just want to pause here again this morning. And Lord, thank you for your word and the way that it challenges and encourages us. And Lord, I pray that we would have eyes to see this morning, ears to hear. And Lord, to know that this passage passage specifically is addressed to believers. And so Lord, this is for the Christian this morning. And it shouldn't be a passage of condemnation, but rather one of encouragement. Lord, that we would see what we have in you this morning. Who we are because of you. What we are because of you and your love for us. So open our eyes to those things today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Paul has already established, we gathered this through the end of chapter 2, that there are two types of people in the world. Only two. There are the saved and the unsaved. The natural and the spiritual. And the natural man does not understand the things of God. The message of the cross is foolishness. The gospel message really is an affront to the wisdom of man. It doesn't make sense. And this was as true in Corinth as it is today. So the Corinthians then, who were looking for status, they were looking for reputation, knowledge, and power, they were challenged by the truth of the gospel. And even once believing, they struggled to let go of their worldly ways and desires. Thus, even within the church, they fractured along lines of preference. They were finding their identity not in Christ, but they were finding their identity in even the messengers of the gospel. Choosing between those who they deemed to have the style or the approach or the success that they could hitch their wagons to and possibly glory and shared success. So just as Paul then shows us that there are two types of people, the natural and the spiritual, now as we get into chapter 3, he shows us that there are two types of believers, the mature and the immature. Chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, we read, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal As to babes in Christ, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. Let's pause for a moment here. Now, someone who is carnal, at least in terms of the definition that Paul gives here, is someone who is born again. Some people have debated this here, whether Paul is speaking about believers, but we know that Paul calls these people brethren. He identifies them with the family of God. But he calls them carnal. He says that their life is dominated by the lusts of their flesh. The word carnal is the Greek word sarkikos, which means fleshly or under control, under the control of animal appetites. It's a person who says, it's all about me. It's all about what I want. And this, if we're honest, is essentially a baby, isn't it? Now, listen, there's nothing wrong with a baby, right? When they're a baby. Easily moved by their own discomfort, 
driven by their desire for food, their need for sleep, unable to care for themselves. But we get it, right? They're a baby. You don't look at a baby who's hungry or her needs changed and say, do it yourself. That's just silly. That's foolishness. That's abuse. No, we take care of them. But there is an assumption based on the divine design that the baby will grow up. That it would be considered abnormal to care for an adult as if they were a baby or for their behavior to mimic that of a baby. This isn't, this analogy that Paul gives us, it's not difficult to understand. But Paul says to the Corinthian believers, you're being babies. Even now, he says, the end of verse 2, you are still not able. Verse 3, for you are still carnal. Paul says, you guys are not maturing in your faith. You are still fleshly and motivated by fleshly desire. Paul wants to give them more than just milk. He wants them to graduate to solid food. The author of Hebrews gives us some insight into this concept, writing in in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. Really, you could go 10 through 14, but in 12 through 14, he writes, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the Word of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, we know that what we know of God is what He has revealed to us, but Hebrews helps us to see that God desires to reveal more if we're ready. Those of you who maybe you have children, you've raised children, or you, know, you have nieces and nephews, or whatever the case may be, and you're familiar with <clears throat> baby food, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? There's something called Gerber graduates, right? Moms and dads, you know. there's even a little number on each of the jars that tells you like, hey, they're maybe ready for this now. And then you can jump up to a three. It was an exciting thing for a parent. when The little things, right, that you think, I'd never in a million years be excited for something like this. But here, one day we're at the store, and we're like, we get to buy number four, right? Oh, man, our kids are going to love this. They get peach cobbler tonight, right? They're moving up in the world. They're graduating to different things. It's not that different with the Word of God. There are things in the Word that we can see and that as you walk with Him and you mature in Him, you find yourself going, man, check this out. Look what we get to have tonight, right? No, we, we don't, but some people, they want to just stay there on the basics. That's all they can handle. And it's not to be that way. We are called to go from the basics of the foundations of the faith The things that truly are important, they are the foundation. But to go from the things that God has done to the things that God is doing and will even yet do the promises of what's ahead. But we must mature. We must grow. 
Now, what are some of the things that contribute then to immaturity and carnality? The remainder of verse 3 says, For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? So here we have some, perhaps not all, but some characteristics of carnality and spiritual immaturity. We see here envy, which speaks really of jealousy. We see strife, which speaks of contention and debate. We see division, which speaks of dissension and disunity. What was true of the Corinthians is often true of us, that we become jealous, desiring things that, that, that are not ours, whether of the material, which sometimes is more evident and obvious, or even the spiritual things, such as giftings and calling. This would be true of the Corinthian believers, that they would be looking at one another, desiring what they had in terms of spiritual equipping and gifting. Why do we, 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 we have this sense of, well, why do they get to do that? Why not me? Why is he teaching and not me? Why is she serving there and not me? You see, it sneaks in so easily. Strife and division, allowing preference to give way to debate or even offense, giving way to division. Paul continues to hit on a major issue at the church in Corinth here in verse 4, saying for when one says, and this is his way of kind of bringing it in line to these things that they're experiencing, he says, for when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? And so we know that this this was one of the specific issues that the church in Corinth was dealing with that Paul's going to bring it back to again. We're now in the third chapter, and Paul's continuing to hit on this issue. Paul has made it clear that their behavior showed that they were unspiritual or spiritually immature. The division and the squabbling served as the indication. So Paul's message to them, and I would say the first lesson to us this morning, is grow up. We need to be willing to hear that. That sometimes we just need to grow up. That's what Paul was telling them. He says, I have more for you. If we are allowing jealousy and strife and divisions in, then we are not walking in the Spirit, but in the flesh. Now, I understand that to say grow up doesn't always solve the problem. Parents learn that as well. We need to address the issue. And for these immature believers, it was their struggle with identity and their focus on the messenger over the message and even the sender that was getting in their way. So Paul says, verse 5, Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. This word minister is the Greek word diakonos. It's from which we get the word deacon. And it means one who executes the command of another. Or servant. Or even, quite literally, one who waits on tables. This is how Paul is referring to himself and to Apollos. The fact is, Paul says, we're just instruments that God is using. We're just the tool. 
in effect, he says, who are we? We're just servants. And you are called to grow and to mature. But you're so caught up in Paul or Apollos, and as such then, failing to realize then that you are connected to the wrong source, and you're never going to grow. Do you understand that? Paul's concern is if you're all about me, or you're all about Apollos, Apollos, in them is not the source of life. It's not the source of growth and maturity. Jesus says in John 15, 4, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can you, except you abide in me. Jesus is the source of growth. But here's the cool thing. Paul does not entirely dismiss his role or that of Apollos. Rather, he recognizes here that the work they are called to and the work we are called to is important so long as it is done for and points to God. Paul continues in verses 6-8, through he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. He says, look, We're called to particular roles. And these roles are different, but in fact they are one because they are all part of the same process. And it's not we, it's not us who do this, but rather God. He's the one who does it all. You see, Paul continually wants them to understand, as I believe the Spirit wants us to understand, is that we each have individual roles and responsibilities, that there is to be unity in and when done for the glory of God can bear much fruit true growth comes from God so we must be careful then where we are planting ourselves are we looking for growth in the wrong places or from the wrong source now Paul recognizes here that there is a role for us to play that we are called Each of us to different roles and responsibilities in the church, and we are equipped for these roles. But, like the envy that already characterized these immature believers, we shouldn't be jealous of someone else's role or work, but rather to fulfill ours faithfully. Verse 9 says, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building let's consider this for a moment this word fellow it means not a nice guy right hey fellows no fellow means a person in the same position involved in the same activity or otherwise associated with one another paul says here that you are called to be involved in the same activity as God. Do you understand that this morning? Is that not something that causes you to, to go, wow, 
Thank you, Bob. These are the truths we see in Scripture that are so easy. You can read verse 9 and you can say, for we are God's fellow workers. Oh, cool. But it, you get to be a part of what God is doing in this world. Do we understand this? This is our second key lesson this morning, and it is this. The Creator God of the universe who is always at work around us invites you to join Him in that work. All this consideration in life of value, of purpose, so often clouded because we're looking at what everyone else is doing. And meanwhile, God is saying, I have something special for you. Come and join me. Every one of us has a special invitation to join the sovereign creator God of the universe in His eternal work. Paul continues, verses 10 and 11, according to the grace of God, which was given to me. Paul understands, this is unmerited favor. This is a gift that I don't deserve. Nevertheless, it's given. That's what grace is. And so he says, according to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. Paul is recognizing here, he knows what his role, his responsibility is. He continues, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Paul recognizes as we should that it is by grace that we are called and equipped. Paul, knowing his role well and knowing who he is, said that he did his part in laying a foundation, but he recognizes that others will build upon it. Suggesting then for us that this whole life in Christ thing is somewhat of a community project. Right? It's a community building project. We are all invited to be a part of this process. Jesus Christ is the foundation. The church was built upon Him. And He calls us into unity around Him and to continue the work of building the church for His glory. But it's His. Remember in Matthew in chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus is speaking with Peter and He says, And on this rock I will build My church. Moreover, He says, The gates of hell will not prevail against it. So whenever you find yourself maybe a little concerned about the stability or the longevity of the church as you hear different studies about things, rest assured, His church will prevail. But here, a lot of people get this confused that somehow this is about Peter, that he was saying, upon Peter I will build my church. And I don't, don't believe that that was the case, but rather on the confession of Peter when Peter said, Jesus, you are the Christ. And Jesus said, indeed, and upon that rock I will build my church. It's upon Jesus. Now, it's in this context then that we are to be built up and to be building. 
Paul is using this analogy here. First, he goes sort of the agricultural route as he's talking about a field, and then he goes the building route. Corinth being a city, maybe he's thinking this will help you guys a little bit to understand what I'm talking about. And so he says it's about a community of believers. He says this is where we are to find our peace, our belonging, our identity in the cross of Christ along with the body of Christ. Each one of us assuming our identity and our roles according to our giftings and equipping. And we know that people long for this identity. They long for this sense of purpose and value. So much so, unfortunately, that we far too often work to construct it ourselves in ways that we shouldn't. Paul continues in verses 12 through 15 saying, Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Look, what we must realize is that all of us are actively building something. We're building something. Just as we are beings who are created to worship, we are always worshiping something. We are always building something. We're always working to build something up. The question is, what are we building? Are we building His kingdom or our own? And what are we building with? What materials are we using? Those that perish or those that will remain? Now, it's important to note that salvation is not in view here. Paul is not addressing salvation here as far as rewards are concerned. He says he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. And so this isn't about whether you'll be saved. This is to believers, all of whom will be saved, but all of whom will stand before the Lord to give account for what the Lord has called us to do. There are two judgment seats in heaven. One is the great white throne judgment. You do not want to appear before that judgment seat. That is where unbelievers will appear before they are judged and cast into hell for all of eternity. There is another judgment seat known as the Bema seat, and that's where believers will appear. And we too will give an account for our life, and we'll receive rewards for the things that we've done for Him. Yes, there are rewards in heaven. And so this is the Bema seat judgment, and it is about rewards. This is when all the work from this life will be revealed, including our motives behind it. The things that we do for the Lord with a heart to serve Him and glorify Him. And those things that remain, those things that are truly done with a heart to glorify God, those are the precious stones, metals, that will withstand the fire. 
These are the things that, that you've done for Him, the ways that you've served Him selflessly. These are the people that maybe He's, he's by His grace used you in, in leading them to Christ. The eternal things. Those things will withstand the fire, but the things we do for us, the things we do for our glory, the temples we build, the places of worship that we build, those things will burn up. They won't remain. It's an incredibly convicting thing. I've been reading this passage all week long and, and thinking so as every time I read it and, and praying as I read and thinking, Lord, what are the things? What am I seeking to build with, with wood and hay and straw? What are the things in this life that I give attention to that I consider important that in that day are just going to be gone? Lord, I want to do less of that building. In Corinth, there were a lot of folks serving because they wanted to be seen. They wanted honor. They wanted status. And, and guys, often this is where the lines start to get really muddy. I, I feel like I, we need to talk about this today because Scripture is clear that we're called to work. Work is not a curse. Work was there from the beginning. Working for the Lord works are biblical things. We're called to serve. But such works are to stem from faith. Such works are to be an outpouring of our identity when we know who we are and who He is, who we belong to. Not the other way around. And so it's important to note here that as we think about working, it's for the Lord because of what He's done for us. Not working to get... Pastor Chuck Smith writes in, can you guess what book? Why Grace Changes Everything. He says one of our biggest problems is that we tend to be more interested in what we do than in what we are. While God is more interested in what we are than in what we do, God never recognizes or rewards the works of our flesh. So the final question for us this morning is, do you know who you are? Verse 16, Paul says, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Now the you here is plural, so it's speaking of the whole church and the word temple, oh, are you ready for this? It's the word naus, which speaks more specifically, not of the temple as a whole, but specifically of the holy of holies. That place within the temple where the Spirit of God would rest. That place where for so long, so many longed to be close. Great fear came upon that high priest when once a year he was able to enter with great fear and trembling, knowing that it was to be done perfectly, his work. Quite frankly, such a sad sight to see still today as the Jewish people gather at the Wailing Wall. That place where 
they believe is the closest that they can possibly get to the presence of the Spirit of God. Paul says, He's in you. Do we know what this means? Do you know what this means? There is... I said this to my Bible students the other day. I said, look, what I'm telling you right now, because I was telling them something similar to this, I said, and you can tell all the other teachers that you're going to see today, because I have the first class of the day. I said, you can tell them all that I told you the most important thing that you're ever going to know, and it's far more important than anything else you're going to hear today. Right? I said, tune in on this. The Spirit of the living God indwells His children. From the very beginning, God has desired, I want us to understand this, because some of you maybe still have a misconception of who God is. Maybe you're going through life applying what you've experienced in horizontal earthly relationships to that of a heavenly father. Or maybe you're in a place of despair or discouragement and you need to know that from the very beginning, God has desired to live among and commune with his people. Do we understand this? That from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, God walked and talked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. There was an intimacy that was known with God. And and that intimacy was disrupted because of sin, but God did not in anger and judgment cast them away and say, I'm going to remain distant from you forever. And in that very moment, He clothed His children and He began to bring about a plan of salvation that was all about reconciliation and a restoration of a right relationship with a God who loves us. Even after the garden and the events of the garden, God made a covenant with Israel. He said, this is a promise. This is a promise. I will put my dwelling place among you. I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. And the Israelites, they wandered in the desert and God wanted to inhabit a place with his people. And they encountered him at Sinai in Exodus 19. And they told Moses, they said, you go, you go. This is too scary for us. But God in His love for His people said, no, I'll come down. I want to be with you. And so He came and He dwelt among His people. His people were living in tents. And God said, no, I want to dwell with you. I want to be with you. And so He established the tabernacle, the tent of meeting in the wilderness. And the Spirit of God descended upon Him. And it was there. And it told them, He told them, this is when you're going to stay and this is when you're going to go. And so that time in the wilderness, they were led by the Spirit of God. And then He was amongst them. He was a guiding force. And after they entered the promised land and they lived in homes, they built a temple and God filled the temple. And we know that it didn't end there, but in the New Testament, God's presence was manifested in a new way. The person of Jesus Christ, who is the living, incarnate, eternal Word of God, the Logos, He took on human flesh. He condescended His throne and made His home among us. And in Jesus Christ, God lived among His people. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus Christ then became the new earthly temple of God, but Jesus was only the initial installment of God's indwelling presence. Today, the New Testament church, the body of believers, you and me who gather in the name of Jesus, we make up the temple of God's Holy Spirit. That there came a time when Jesus said, I must go as he ascended into heaven. And even then he told his people, I go to what? Prepare a place for you. There are many rooms in my father's house, he said. If it were not so, I would have told you. 
He says, I'm going, but I'm going to come back again. And in the meantime, I'm going to send a helper to you. We make up that temple now because of that helper which has come. And he says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. John 14, 23. Friends, do you understand that we are meant to house the fullness of God? The holy of holies? For many months we've considered at various times the amazing prayer that Jesus prays that we would be one as He and the Father are one. And it's with truths like these that we can begin to understand a little bit of how that happens. Yet how often do we diminish this truth through self-deprecation or in our pursuits of the things of this world? So often trying to build other temples, lay other foundations, while all along he says, it's you. It's you. I will come and dwell in you and with you. Jesus placed the emphasis not upon what we do, but upon what we are. Pastor Chuck writes, what comes forth from our lives is the result of our relationship with Him. You want treasures in heaven? Recognize that He's in you. And yield to that Spirit. I ask you today, how is that relationship? Do you know what and who you are? Verse 17, if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For The temple of God is holy. Which temple you are? We're only going to get to verse 17 here this morning. And I would leave you with our third key lesson. Christian, you are the temple of God. Paul says, which temple you are. This is the present indicative tense, which means this is a present declarative factual statement. Not future. Now. The question should be asked, how do we defile the temple? So you say, well, how do we defile the temple? Three things. One, you disregard and quench the work of the Spirit. You move toward the wisdom of man, the things of this world. We must know that the temple, it was separate. It was holy. It was different, set apart, as we are to be from this world, as those who have the Holy Spirit. Secondly, we defile it through disunity. Stephen Um writes this, We need to recognize that we are a part of a bigger cause. If we are only driven by self-fulfillment and self-authentication, then we can never be a helpful co-builder. We would only be concerned about our own bricks, our own building blocks, 
And we would not be concerned about the rest of the building. When it comes to buildings, temples, walls, the bricks are usually layered on top of one another. We cannot all of a sudden say, I don't want to be next to this brick. I don't like this brick. Because the reality is the bricks are cemented together. Everyone is cemented to the wall. He says we cannot be isolated Christians. If we live in isolation, we are living a life that is not natural. We are violating our nature. But we also need to see that beyond violating our nature without community, we will have no accountability or intimacy systems in our lives. Without accountability, we will not have intimacy and we will be without community. Finally, we defile it when we bring the world in. John Corson writes of the account of both Moses and Joshua who, when they realized they were in the presence of God, they were told to take off their shoes as they were on holy ground. John says in his house, when the kids come home, all that mud on their shoes from their time outside prompts them to remove their shoes before entering the house. In like fashion, we from our time in the world can get a little dirty, so we take it off. We leave the mud of the world, pride, bad attitudes, envy, jealousy, bitterness, unforgiveness, division. We leave it at the door. I'm going to invite the worship team to close us out in song, and I would say to us this morning, friends, let's stop building other temples. Let's mature beyond the milk of the word, laying aside fleshly desires. Let's graduate to more of what God has for us. Let's recognize that God cares first for who we are, and that's that we're His. His temple, His dwelling place. And from there, that we have divine design. A special calling to join Him in His work. Each of us doing our part for the glory of God and the good of the body of Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we give You thanks, Lord, once again this morning for our time together. Lord, we do pray that it's been pleasing to You and... As we begin, Lord, we'll close and say thank you, Lord, for your word, which by your spirit, Lord, serves to instruct us, to challenge us, or to inform us, to change us. Lord, might I pray once more that we would be a people who would lean in, Lord, to that which you have for us, that we would see that you have more for us, Lord, more understanding that will serve to shape us and conform us that Lord we would rejoice, celebrate that we have a calling from you to join you as fellow workers to engage in your work in this world and to know Lord that it's not about what we do in the flesh but it's about who we are, who you've made us to be that we possess within us the Holy Spirit, and the power thereof. That the same power that raised You, Lord Jesus, from the dead dwells within us. And that as we surrender to it and yield to it, 
as we grow more in our relationship with You and allow Your Spirit to work. And Lord, those wonderful works will pour forth from that place. Teach us that, Lord, we pray. Cause us, Lord, to meditate upon that truth, Lord, in the days ahead. We might be obedient to You and make much of You, Lord, in the opportunities You give us. We love You, Lord, and we praise You. And we thank You, Lord, for this time today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week. So make sure that you are subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.